0: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. It is the month of January in the year 2023, and our book this month is Kevin Wilson's delightful novel, Now Is Not the Time to Panic. It's about Frankie, who is an adult when the story starts, but it's really about one summer when she's a teenager. She's bored and lonely until she meets Zeke, who's another weird teenager in their tiny Tennessee town. And they end up creating a very strange poster and make a zillion photocopies of it with a stolen copy machine hidden in Frankie's garage. They put it all over town and this weird, impulsive poster ends up totally changing the world. The phrase in the poster is used in SNL skits. It's a part of Pulitzer winning reporting, even social uprisings. That is all I am going to say for now. But this is your spoiler warning. If you have not read this book and you do not want to know what happens, this is not the conversation for you. You should go listen to our spoiler-free interview with author Kevin Wilson that is in the feed now. If you haven't read the book and you do want to know what happens, or if you have read, read the book and you already know what happens, we are very glad to have you. Our panelists this time around are two of my favorites. We have Angie Kim. She's the author of the novel Miracle Creek and her next novel, Happiness Falls, is coming out in September. Angie, welcome back to the book club. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. We also have here Gwen Kirby, whose short story collection shit Cassandra saw was one of my favorite books last year. Gwen, hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Greta. Oh, my gosh. So excited to have you. Full disclosure, you are, in fact, friends with Cassandra. Kevin in real life, which means I'm very jealous.
1: Yes, I am. But I will let my harsh critique of how much I love this book just flow anyway.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love harsh critiquing of friends. <laughs> okay, so I mentioned the phrase that's on the poster. I think that's where we should begin. We yes. actually have Kevin saying it. I asked him to recite it when I interviewed him earlier this month. Here it is.
2: The edge is a shanty town filled with gold seekers. We are fugitives, and the law is skinny with hunger for us.
0: Ugh, so beautiful, oh, so evocative, so cool, Angie. What What do you think it means? I mean, in some ways, it's spo- so specific and yet completely vague at the same time, which means I think so many you know you can read into it so many different ways. What does it evoke for you? Exactly.
3: I mean, I think it's um, to me. Because it came at the end of Frankie and Zeke talking about art, and you know, and her saying like, "What do you want me to write?" and Zeke is going, "Just write something, write something." And she's like, "I can't yeah. just write something. I, that, my writing yeah. doesn't work that way." And he would, and so she was thinking about you know, like all the things that she was thinking, like her fucked up dad, and and I think it sort of like means that she, to me that you know, she's really, they're kind of alone um, and they're sort of lonely in this way, but yet completely like seen by everyone. They're fighting against the world, the way that you feel when you're 16, you know? So it like captures that feeling for me.
0: Oh, that's such a beautiful way of putting it. What do you think, Gwen?
1: I was so taken in by this phrase because I felt like at once I could read so much into it you know being like what mm. is like the edge the edge is this place where we make art and then the gold seekers made me think of like capitalism and what does it mean to be mm. a, and all of this all of this stuff and yet at the same time there's just such a pleasurable incantatory quality to it where it doesn't need to mean anything at all to feel yeah. powerful yeah. and so I sort of love that in it, where I felt like I could both overread it and not read it whatsoever, and yes, still yes. feel kind of fulfilled by it.
0: Yeah. Completely. Such a good way of putting it too. So Gwen, I mean, we talked to Kevin about how this is a phrase that he says multiple times a day to himself every day and has for a very long time. Were you familiar with it before this book came out?
1: No, I had no idea. I actually did not know um, about the origin of this phrase until listening to your interview with Kevin. Oh, funny. (laughs) Um, And I, I was so touched and fascinated by it because as I was, Hmm. as I was so I, I had I listened to this book on audiobook. I would read it once, but I yes, wanted, to, such a good wanted to get it back and it was a wonderful audiobook. Um yeah. and I was listening to that phrase and I was just thinking, like, my gosh, how did Kevin come up with that?
3: Mm-hmm. And then
1: to hear that it was actually a friend of his from sort of a much earlier time in his own life who had come up to it, it just I just felt like it. It like reinforced the magic around it somehow that like not even the author had come up with it, that like it preceded the book itself.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to hear you use the word magic because that was something else I talked to Kevin about. But I did think was really interesting with this one because in a lot of ways, this is his least magical novel, but Mm. there was still so much magic kind of inferred.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I mean, the magic comes from something real that's happening with art, like in a way that as a teenager, you hope that your art will sort of, you know, transform the world. And somehow it Mm. has, you know, in Mm. this way that Unlike in, you know, some of his previous books, where you're kind of, you know, into the fantasy world of it, this, you mm-hmm. can see this happening, you know, that shit like this can happen and has <laughs> happened in some way, you know what I mean?
0: hmm. Yes. So we got a bunch of listener voicemails this time around, which is very exciting. Yay. Let's take a listen to Anna Lisa from Bedford, Massachusetts.
3: I could feel
0: what it felt like in Tennessee in the summertime with Kevin Wilson's writing. I could feel the heat, the oppressive humidity, the kind of unrealness of of what that summer felt like. I also was really interested to hear how the phrase in the book was actually created by a friend of Kevin Wilson. And it is a phrase that evokes weirdness and uncomfortableness But in a good way. And now I really want to see that poster. I kept wanting to like turn the page and have a big picture of what the poster actually looked like.
3: And uh, and now I want a T-shirt with it, too. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I want to put out a challenge to nerd out listeners to design the poster. Wouldn't that be fun?
3: <laughs> I really, really want to see the poster so badly. Right? In fact, <laughs> I feel like, you know, I feel like they should make a, a movie, like a limited series or something uh, or a movie or something of this right now. And that should be, <laughs> and that should be the, the like trailer, right? Like it should yes. be them <sighs> making it. It would be us. Oh, and then the blood, like going all Oof. over like stars. Oh, that. That would be so cool.
0: (laughs) I also just love the phrase "weirdness" and "uncomfortableness," but in a good way.
3: Yeah, very.
1: (laughs) That could be the blurb for Kevin's whole canon of work. I think, right,
0: right, exactly. (laughs) Good. I bet he would love it. Totally. Yeah. Here is another voicemail. This one is from Jenna in Nashville. This book made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me want some pop tarts, and I thought it was a really tender look at loneliness and at connection. And I love the way that Kevin Wilson writes about misfits. Also, as a lifelong Tennessean, I just want to say that I'm really glad that Kevin Wilson writes about Tennessee. So here's a question for both of you. The misfits thing, I think this is such a beautiful capturing of, like, how it feels to be a weird teenager. And I was talking to my mom about this because she read it recently And she was like, Greta, I think it always feels weird. I don't, you know, she was like, I think it's less about weirdness and more about just like the inherent weirdness of being a teenager at all. And I was curious what each of you thought about Mm -hmm. that.
1: That's such a great question, because I I think I do think that the weirdness in this book could speak to anyone who Mm -hmm. was a teenager. I think there is something inherently weird (laughs) Mm -hmm. about your your body changing and the way that Kevin deals with kissing and (laughs) sex in this felt so mm-hmm. like unerotic yeah, in a way yeah. that actually felt so yes. true to being like 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that there is a special kind of weirdness that comes from being the kind of teenager who really doesn't fit mm-hmm. in with the other teenagers and that, that urge to make art or like make something that can express how disconnected you feel even from your peers to me seems like something really important that Kevin is getting at like it is more than just the more than just the weirdness of being a teenager it's the weirdness of being a teenager who doesn't even fit in with any other (laughs) teenagers
3: yeah, no, I feel exactly the same way, and I think that's one of the reasons why it spoke to me so much. I started re- listening to it on January first, hmm. um, and I just thought I would just like give myself a little treat for half an hour, and you know, start this book on the audiobook. And I just didn't get out of bed. I like re- I, I listened to it the entire day. I didn't even like get up and do stuff <laughs> like while listening. I just could have like you sat gotten up. there in bed. <laughs> I know I could have and I should have done that, especially you know like January first, mm. like oh you know exercise more, whatever. Or something. No. <laughs> and I think that, and I think it was even like the watermelon scene in the very beginning,
2: mm. you know, which
3: is like uh, which is the first scene that we see of them. I was such a weird kid, and you know, I I came over from Korea. I didn't mm-hmm. speak English and you know, in middle school and I was bullied and all that kind of stuff and always like feeling left out. And in this pool where her, she has these triplet brothers, the (laughs) the triplets and, you know, and they're going around like stealing people's money while they're doing this weird, like greased up watermelon thing, (laughs) polo. Um, And, you know, and then seeing, and then recognizing somebody else, like just one other person who you know that you can maybe be weird together with, you know? yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then her somehow like summoning up the $20 bribe for her brothers just so that they'll help him to win so that they can actually be part of this weird thing that this town has. Mm. And, you know, and, and how they bond over that. I think it just, it, there is like a huge loneliness thing that, It's not all teenagers, or at least it didn't seem that way to me, anyway. And the fact that they can get to get like come together um, and collaborate and create something that like goes beyond them and and actually fulfills their dream of what they like said that they wanted to do over the summer. Yeah, um, that just seems to me to be so powerful. Let's listen to another
0: voicemail. Here's Liz in Roseville, Minnesota. She's talking about weirdness a little bit, too.
1: Hey, so that part about um, where Frankie talks about the books that she likes and the librarian um, and her mom like reading every single Nancy Drew book, and then it goes to a different book and someone else gives her another book, but she never tells people about the books that she really likes because everything that you like, what was it, can be like an intense obsession, but also a way... Uh, to feel shame right like oh that part that hit me that piece of like I wish I could have accepted my like weirdness and quirkiness earlier because I think if we all could have done it um growing up and younger right like what full people
0: and fuller people could we have become earlier in just a minute more on now is not the time to Gwen you mentioned the awkwardness of their like sort of physical relationship and it's something that I thought was really interesting it rang true to me but it also you know I mean I think there there could definitely be a version of this book where they were like actually more romantically involved with each other and it was something I asked Kevin about when we had him on as like my spoilery question and here's what he had to say.
2: They're friends, you know, and they're interested in each other and they're mostly interested in each other because of what they they see in the other that they can now do. You know, they can make art, they can do this stuff, but they do make out. They are attracted to each other, but they make out in a way where they just like press their mouths against each other for long periods of time. They don't want to actually touch so their bodies don't touch. I don't know. A lot of times when I read like YA or books about teenagers, they're also... Um, weirdly confident in the amount of sex that they want to have and i when i was 15 and really and truly like reading Nancy Drew when i was 15 because i still love them and and uh i wanted no part of this stuff like what a weird prude how terrifying that all sounded and i wanted to be a kid for as long as i could and so i wanted to write a book about teenagers who like want things like they desire but like the actuality of it is kind of gross to them what do you do in the absence when you feel this intense desire for them? And it's like, well, let's do something, let's make something, let's connect in these other ways.
0: <laughs> the way he says they make <laughs>
3: out, I just think is so good. <laughs> oh, that's that's so hilarious because, um, because it, it especially even their first kiss, you yeah. know, their first kiss is was it actually on the xerox machine when they were like making that copy yeah. of their face yeah it,
1: it, it was
3: <laughs> right right and so you're just like okay and she kisses him and like but but it's for the for the art it's for so to because she's curious to see you know how it's gonna look and he's like well why did you do that and she's like i don't know <laughs> So hilarious.
1: Uh, it spoke to me so much. I just remember how much some of those milestones felt like mm. burdens yes. when I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. All you want yeah. to do is just get them behind
0: you. Oh my god. Right. I cried after my right. first kiss. I was like, that's it? That was gross. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another really nice voice memo we got from
3: Maya. One of the scenes that has kind of stuck in my brain, really um, in a Visceral way was the car crash scene. I thought that the way that he took us through Frankie's thought process was so um, moving, and how she um, addressed it with her mom when she woke up in the hospital. um, It was just handled with such delicacy and compassion um, that I thought was really beautiful. I also thought that Frankie's mom's portrayal in general felt really unique and lovely. The way that she kind of dealt with her, each of her children's various struggles and growing up. And I just thought that that was unique and something that I hadn't really seen in parents of teens being portrayed in different
0: books. I thought that was a great voice memo, partly because of the idea of, I forget exactly how she phrases it, but like the delicacy of of the that intense scene. I think there is something about his writing that you get through the other books too, but especially in this one where there is a tenderness like you feel as much as it is about isolation and loneliness and fear you feel held throughout is like, that's the best way I could come up with putting it. You know what I mean though? Mm.
1: I do. He's such a kind writer. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's just so much empathy. I mean, even the only character in the whole book who comes close to being a villain is Zeke's dad. And even he is so redeemed mm. by the, by the end of the book mm. and, uh, yeah he he handles the car crash so well and i think part of that is his choice to use that retrospective
3: barrier mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so that even
1: mm-hmm. though we are in that moment and it's it's really visceral and it's really upsetting we have that tiny bit of distance from us as if you know she's saying like but it was okay you know even though it's so horrible
0: right so we kind of talked about this earlier the the fact that this takes place in the 90s i think there there's a really interesting nostalgia in this book both for i think like childhood in general but especially the the fact that this is before tech exploded the way it did you know i mean we even got Mm -hmm. a voicemail from someone that used the phrase the special time of photocopiers you know like it is a very (laughs) specific era
2: and a couple
0: we got a couple calls about it um let's listen to robin This feels like one of a whole bunch of books that I've
3: read lately that are written by authors who've got to be like the same age as me, reflecting on our adolescence right before smartphones and internet like took over the world and this sort of analog vibe of our youth that I've been missing and and clearly the authors have too. So um, this time tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow falls in that category too. And now is not the time to panic, which like harkens back to this special time of photocopiers and like getting out into the world to spread your message instead of sitting on your couch to do it. It's just really nostalgic to remember a world that we engaged with that way.
0: I also love the phrase analog vibes.
3: <laughs> I did too. I, yes, I wrote that down too. I love that.
0: So, yeah, do you think something like this could happen in the same way in 2023? Or is that just like, is the phrase a tweet that would have gone viral?
3: Yeah, I mean, what I love about it is that it did go viral. But mm. it went viral in this almost like a slow car crash kind of viral. Mm. You know what I mean? Like instead of yeah, instead like now it would be like somebody snaps it and, you know, posts it or puts it on Discord or whatever they do these days, like <laughs> whatever people do or TikTok. And then it would just like go all over or whatever. and And then it would be over like really quickly. Right. And having to just actually make photocopies and put them up physically around everywhere that just to me was so amazing and something that would never happen now because it's so much easier just to like yeah try to get an influencer to tweet it or something right right. well and am I misremembering or does she keep putting
0: them around even when she's older like in libraries she does
3: I love that yeah she she never stops which I love
0: yeah that's so sweet
3: and I love that her daughter is like she 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 had the daughter had memorized it. Yes. She was like, yeah mom, yeah, mom, you say it all the time. You say it all the time. <laughs> How would I not go? Like I live in this house.
0: Gwen, what struck you about the nostalgia piece?
1: I, I, I was trying, i spent a lot of time trying to decide like if this would have any chance to go viral now. Um, I don't, hmm. I don't think so because I yeah. think there's something not grabby about it. It's like something that mm. you sit in your town and you like, stare at and you Mm. don't really think anything of it the first time you see it Mm. or even the second time you see it. But Mm -hmm. then like the fifth and the 10th time it like, it's like a little worm that starts to get into you. And that's why it's so cool that it's this, you know, it's this really slow start that Mm -hmm. then really takes off in a way that I feel like if someone, some kid made it and posted it on Instagram, you'd just be like, you know, scroll, 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 and then you wouldn't have to see it again. You know, it would just be gone in the way that like that physical object of the poster. If I saw that every time I went into the Piggly Wiggly, I feel like I would start to be like, what the the fuck is that? (laughs) And and it would just, it would stay with me. And, And I remember that from being a teenager, you know, like, I mean, I did have AOL chat, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything like the world is now.
0: Well, and I think you're right, too, that, like, you, if you could Google the phrase and figure out, like, oh, it was some teenagers in Tennessee, you'd be like, okay, mystery yeah, solved, you yeah. know?
1: It yeah. goes back to that word magic, right? Like, mm. the magic yeah. would be gone. You'd be able to say, well, that's what it is. That's where it's from. That's what it means. But, like, it, it resists all of those things. It sort of yeah. exists outside of time and mm. place and provenance.
0: The magic of the analog vibes.
1: Yeah,
0: love it. (laughs) So one thing that really struck me, and I'm not sure I'm, I don't think I'm like bothered by it in terms of my enjoyment of the book, but it is something I have found myself wondering a lot, which is the fact that Frankie didn't tell anyone that she was the one who made the poster, I think is a really interesting choice. And I think I get it. But I also just have such a hard time in some ways picturing the idea of experiencing this super formative event in your own personal life that also ends up impacting so many other people and not like bringing that up at a dinner party or something. You know what I mean?
3: I do. Yeah. But isn't, yeah. Isn't that the, but to me, that's the power of it, right? Mm. Is that it's almost like the power dissipates if you say it out loud, like Hmm. part of the Power is that it's magical and mythical, and part of the power part of mm. that power is that nobody knows who did it, so it's sort of like you know it's it's like what Gwen was saying um uh, just a minute ago about how if you have if you know who it is, then all of a sudden it's just not that interesting anymore,
1: yeah, I think too that I think Kevin does a good job making me believe that Frankie is the sort of person. For whom mm-hmm. a secret is really important. And, and yes. I think the way that things end with Zeke also feels like a huge part of why yeah. I believe that she would never That's tell. True. Like I think he did, I think he did a pretty good job sort of like putting external forces on her, like these two deaths mm-hmm. and Zeke's obvious terror and all of these things that you think like like with her husband that there was maybe this window for her to say something. Yeah. But like it's closed and it's become so huge in her own head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like, she thinks it's like setting off a bomb, you know, or just by the scene with her mom, yeah. where her mom is just like, Oh, yeah. sweetie. Uh-huh. like <laughs> I know. She's like, I, yeah. I know there's, there's a, she's like, there's a huge Xerox machine in the garage, baby. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> And look, I did I so agree with, with the lovely person who put that that call in, the mom I thought was so well written. Yeah. And, and just yeah. really great.
0: Well, and like the perfect combination of like beleaguered and distant but also still engaged and concerned you know i mean especially like triplet boys can you imagine no oh i cannot
3: i imagine. cannot imagine <laughs> i cannot fire. imagine i
0: refuse to imagine <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, I have three boys, but they're three boys throughout seven years. And that and that was like a lot. And so I cannot imagine. And I love how she talks about how her mom like kind of um, changed after the dad left Mm -hmm. because she was like, well, it was like she was trying to control everything and make sure that nothing bad would happen. And then something bad happened. And then she was like, oh, well, you know, like. Yeah, Yeah. it's okay. It's okay. Like something bad happened and life did not fall apart. And that's kind of what happens with her, too, you know, with with the whole secret. Totally. Well, that's another
0: instance, I think, of like there is a version of that dynamic that is really unsafe and kind of scary. But this is Mm. like still Mm. and it's definitely, you know, traumatic for Frankie to have gone through this. Mm. and And, you know, the fact that her dad just peaced out and the fact that she's got this half-sibling, also named Frances. But I, even that, it, you know, again, with the the safetyness of it all, like, there's a delicacy even to that stuff, I think, you know?
1: You can just feel how loved she is.
0: Yes. Which
1: actually, for me, made me think a lot about, I don't know, maybe what it must be like being a parent reading the book, which, Angie, you could speak to, but I cannot. Mm. But Just, mm. you know, knowing the, remembering all the secrets you kept when you were mm. that age, and how yeah. much you're how much your parents know you and know what you're up to and how much they don't know you mm-hmm. and what you're up to and what a what a strange moment that is when you're still living in your parents home, but you have this life that's becoming totally yours. I just, I don't know, I, I thought a lot about what that must feel like as, as a parent in addition to having the memories of it as a kid.
3: Yeah, no. And th- I think that's why I keep on fixating on this moment of the mom going like, oh, sweetie, I knew <laughs> I-, I knew all along, of course it's you. Because, you know, that's what you think. Like when you're a teenager, you think that your parents don't understand you. You're mm, like, yeah. I am so unique. <laughs> I am so like strange and weird. And my parents were never like this. Nobody has felt like this ever before. Certainly not my parents, you know? And so you just think that And then to find out later that this thing that you thought was a huge secret that your parents would like, it would kill them, it would crush them to find out and then to find out that they knew all along. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's just so it's such a to me, it said so much about the book and her relationship with her not only her mom, but, you know, with the whole town, you know, even and also just the crush of finding out that Mr. Avery told her secret, mm. like in some yeah. letter, that was also that was like kind of crushing in the other way. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But
0: what was it? I can't remember exactly what he writes in the letter, but doesn't he kind of describe her very like it? it he sees her in a way that it seems like most people don't in that town.
1: He does. He says yeah. that he thinks that she's a, a better artist yes. than he's ever mm-hmm. been. Yes. It's, it's really, it's really beautiful. I wondered how he was going to pull that off. And if there would be like a real feeling of betrayal, you know, like mm. who finally let mm-hmm. the secret go. And I didn't feel that. I, and I think maybe this speaks a little bit to the, to the analog vibes, <laughs> um, but because it's in this like written letter yeah. mm-hmm. between these two men, you know, it it just felt, it felt like a telling of the secret in the most private, Mm -hmm. I don't know, in the most private way
0: you could
3: tell a secret. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. All right. We have one more voicemail. It is from Allie.
3: I'm only three quarters of the way through now is not the time to panic, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Both as someone who lives in a small town an hour from Memphis and as a forever weird teen who found solace in the obsessions of Southern Gothic writers like Carson McCullers and Flannery O'Connor. I also keep thinking a lot about how this book resonates with some of our recent book club picks. Um, The art partnership between Frankie and Zeke made me think of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And the novel's overall interest in the power of art and the role that art plays in making change made me think of our missing hearts, though perhaps here the change art brings isn't always good. Kevin Wilson definitely has his own take on artist obsessions, and I love how strange and dark it is.
0: Since those were a couple of titles mentioned in comparison, I would love to know what books each of you would recommend to someone who read this one and really liked it. Um, it involves putting both of you on the spot. Angie, I'm going to start with you alphabetically.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which the, you know, this reader brought up is, was the first thing that for me, um, just, I think because of the collaborative nature of it, Mm. um, and also the nostalgia factor, like both of those things together, like, and, You know, and also just the sort of will they, won't they kind of, you know, that that vibe. But given that she brought that up, I was like thinking like, what else? um, What do I think of now? (laughs) No, actually. And this is a really this is a book that hasn't been released yet. It's coming in April. Um, Greek. It's it's Greek lessons by Hong Kong. Cool. The voice is nothing like Kevin Wilson's, but the reason I bring it up is because of this intense, you know, vibe of loneliness and two people who overcome like really strange things that are happening to sort of come together and how the coming together, you know, enables you to find a connection. So it's about uh, a woman who is losing her ability to speak. <sighs> um Altogether, like a very strange you know bizarre situation, and then she's getting Greek lessons she's korean she, this is in Seoul, and she is taking lessons on Greek um <laughs> by um a a man, and the man is losing his sight and just the wow. overcoming and connecting together. Um, so it just, made, it had that, that thematic uh, mood, if you will, and the weirdness also uh, made me think of that. But the voices aren't really anything alike. Just Interesting.
0: FYI. No, that's great. Those are, that's a wonderful recommendation. It sounds really yeah. fascinating.
3: Very fascinating. Awesome.
0: Gwen, what do you think?
3: But there's a few books that, that came to mind.
1: It's always so hard to pick. Um, so I think one thing I love about Kevin's work is the weirdness and one thing I love having friends with Kevin is how much he loves weird things (laughs) Um, and so there's there's a short novel that I know Kevin loves and I love too um called Mrs Caliban by Rachel Ingalls that is this it's this short little novel about this housewife who falls in love with this escaped lizard man (laughs) and it's just like really sweet and really really strange and I, just bizarre. It's it's just sort of like this sad, lonely housewife, and this lizard who really loves to eat avocados, and they fall in love. Um, and I so I really recommend that. It is I bizarre love as well. that. Wow. Yeah. So, cool. A lizard who eats avocados. He really wow. loves avocados. That's actually wow. one of weirdly my most visceral <laughs> memories from that book. Even though there's like a lizard man that she's having sex with, it's the avocados that really stuck with me. <laughs> um, whoa. so I really recommend that it is a bizarre read. Um, and then the, the other thing that really came to mind, um, is all the books by Catherine Heine. Um, cause so she wrote uh, a collection that I absolutely love called simple, uh, carefree mellow and two novels so far, I think called standard deviation and early morning riser. And she is someone who, I think like Kevin if you wanted to go back to using like the word like held. Like mm, I think she's someone who yeah. you know puts her characters through a tremendous amount but you always feel held by just what an utterly fine funny presence she just is as a writer. And she I think like Kevin really focuses deeply on friendships, on family and about like kind of how, you know, grounding and important those connections are, even in really extraordinary circumstances. I never cry when I read, but she wrote the short story about this woman who has to put her dog down while she also like contemplates having an affair with the veterinarian who's going to have to put her dog down. (laughs) Like it's, it's just this bonkers story, but it's, it's again, it's so, it's held so deftly and so sweetly that I just, I, I don't know. She she makes me want to be like a better writer and a more loving human, and wow. I feel like Kevin and his books yeah. um, do the same for me. So if you, if you love Kevin's works, Kevin's works, I have no doubt you'd love Catherine um, Heine's works, and if you love um, Lizard Men, you will like this. <laughs> <Kevin. laughs>
0: wow, those are amazing recommendations. I don't even know how to follow up <laughs> with that, but I'm going to try. I was looking through and trying to think of books that capture that weird the weird teenage thing that's still funny but also doesn't shy away from the dark side of what that can look like too and a book that came to mind which i read a very long time ago and could tell you almost nothing about but i remember really liking and finding very charming and i think similarly voicey is dear fang with love by rufy thorpe it came out maybe like 10 ish years ago maybe not quite that long ago Um, But that was the one I wanted to recommend, along with a short story collection that I just recently listened to also that came out a couple of years ago called Someone Who Will Love You in All Your Damaged Glory. It's written by Raphael Bob-Waksberg, who, of course, is the BoJack Horseman creator. Oh, yeah. And like the weirdness of that, like there's a chapter that's just from the point of view of a dog. And those two, (laughs) actually, a lot of them are about loneliness and letting people down and relationships coming to an end, but it's so wry and just utterly bizarre and inventive. They're so much fun. It was, it's definitely one of my favorite collections that I've read in a long time, probably since yours, Gwen.
3: Oh, thank
1: you. I'm I'm so excited to read that. I love BoJack Horseman and I would love to see what he's doing in the short story.
0: Okay. So for our completely arbitrary rating system this time around, we thought we would do photocopies. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess up to a hundred photocopies. How many photocopies would you give this book? We'll start with you this time, Gwen.
1: Oh my gosh! I'm like, what? Well, wait, how many photocopies did it take to to paper the wall of that like abandoned
0: sex no. and drug God, room that would have been they perfect.
1: I want, I want to rate it that number
3: of whatever that number. Okay,
0: that's a perfect whatever number. that number yep. is. Yeah. yeah, that seems ex- extremely apt.
3: <laughs> what do you think, Angie? <laughs> definitely at least 100 or maybe 300 isn't mm. 300 the number of photocopies that they made for the the first time they really plastered that wall yeah so so really yeah. it's just
0: all the photocopies sounds
3: yes like. all the photo yes all the photocopies <laughs> that you can get before you run out of copy paper exactly in
0: the- or ink whatever whatever happens
3: <laughs> <first>. <laughs>
0: well Angie Gwen thank you both so much this was very fun
3: this is
1: wonderful thank you
3: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.
0: All right, that's it for book club this month. We have announced the next two months of book club selections on our Instagram, which you can find at Nerdat podcast. But I'm going to do you a solid and tell you what they are right now Too, our February selection is Sabrina Imbler's sciency memoir called how far the light reaches. And then in March, we're going to be reading Rebecca McKay's new book called I have some questions for you, which is out in late February. We can't wait for you to read along. And of course, I think you know this, but I'm just going to say it. It is never too soon for you to send in a voice memo with your thoughts about the book. You can do that to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, And our executive producer is Brendan Bannazak.